I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, Finding Yourself in Life's Little Moments. Hi, dear listener. Well, it's a kind of cloudy... Um, little bit smoky, not too much morning here in Sydney, Australia. And I'm just sitting at my desk, having enjoyed a kind of typical breakfast for me, which is um, organic lemongrass tea, wild blueberries, rice cakes, with unhulled sesame butter on them and very dark organic fair trade chocolate so <clears throat> so that is how I um, enjoy starting the day and I'm blessed to be able to do that I don't take these blueberries for granted they're Australian And I think that they've made it, and the farmers who produce them have made it, wherever they are, have made it thus far. Um, At a time when, as you may have heard, you know, fires are raging throughout this country. And uh, yesterday I read this amazing, um, kind of amazing thing. In the northern part of the state, northwestern part of the state, I believe it is, there's a national forest called the Wollamai National Forest. And it's named for the pines, the Wollamai pines that grow there. And they don't grow anywhere else in the world. And they call them dinosaur pines, dinosaur trees because apparently they're the oldest living species of trees in existence. They think a hundred thousand years. And these trees grow in protected, um, I want to say caverns, but not really like that. They're, they're protected sorts of deep areas surrounded by outcroppings of of stone and cliffs and they're there down at the bottom of these kinds of canyons and it's for that reason i think that they've survived this long because they're that protected but for the first time fire has encroached upon them and through a remarkable combination of ingenuity, inventiveness, courage, determination, and human intention, 
a firefighting mission went in to endeavor to protect those pine trees, it's going to be hard to share this with you without, without crying because it's so moving to me. They, they went into this protected area, which is actually not known publicly where it is. You know, it's interesting. It's a bit like some of the most, I think of the Lescaux caves in France where these prehistoric paintings occur, you know, these cave paintings and how people are not allowed to go in there anymore, you know, in order to make sure that they remain literally and figuratively untouched. But uh, the Wollamai Pines likewise exist in an area which is not accessible to, to people. But these firefighters went in with helicopters and other manner of, of things to endeavor to protect them using a combination of fire retardant and water and other sorts of things that firefighters especially know how to do and most of us mere mortals don't. <laughs> and they succeeded thus far in protecting this grove of Wollamai pines, the oldest trees in the world, dating back as far as a hundred thousand years, these dinosaur trees. So from satellite, you can see this broad swath of green amidst parched brown bushland, you know, the parts that didn't survive, the parts that succumbed to the fires. So I wanted to sort of start with that, you know, because here I am contemplating the amazing meeting of mind and heart, the amazing ways that humans can bring forth these aspects of our being, of our ingenuity, inventiveness, creativity at the service of something we love. Now, there are a few things that I'm going to share with you here in this podcast, two particular ones, really. And one of them is a, a letter that I received. Um, from somebody who's become quite a dear person to me. And the mind and heart, you see, when you feel connected to somebody because you've experienced from them a kind of rare expression of mind and heart, that person, you know, stands out for you as someone um, life-supporting. <laughs> life-supporting. 
And back in May, I received kind of a a first email from this person, someone who had grown up, interestingly, in the same place that I did. I've mentioned this person several times in my podcasts, but today felt like a, a moment to bring something forth, a sort of point of appreciation. Um, because those qualities of mind and heart, dear listener, you see, and of course other things, but I'm sort of in a, in a certain way essentializing it, are what I feel really lay at the foundation of human relationship, of what it really means to be joined to somebody. You know, I go to this place, this Asian fusion restaurant often. It's family-owned, which isn't always the case anymore. You know, back in the day, dear listener, pretty much all restaurants were family-owned, you know, back in the day before McDonald's and all of that. But these days, it's going it's to sound like a bit of a trajectory or something, but it's a footnote. It's a footnote. You'll see why. But I think it's connected, you see, because... When a family still owns a restaurant, their minds and hearts are invested in creating that place, in creating the food that you enjoy. You know, it's very different than going into a place that's a franchise, where the people there really don't have any personal investment except really you know, it's very different, right? It's very different. So this particular restaurant has always been owned by this family, and I love going there. And since I was talking about food earlier, I'll just mention that I love getting their curries. You know, they make fabulous curry. But they also have a bowl near the place counter where you pay at the end. And in that bowl are fortune cookies and each fortune cookie is individually wrapped and it's really fun because at the end I always take a fortune cookie you have to pay a little extra for them but it doesn't matter but these fortune cookies are really good whoever makes the fortunes that go in these fortune cookies is a very thoughtful person and I have gotten the best fortunes the most apt fortunes in this restaurant and recently the fortune that I got is this nothing is as good in life as the marriage between two minds nothing is as good in life as the marriage between two minds and I think I'll add to that, that nothing's as good in life as the marriage between two minds and two hearts, right? So, in that light, I'm going to share something with you. As I mentioned, I'm going to share a bit of this message that I received last May from this person, who had sort of re-found me, (laughs) 
having known about me, have known me, you know, growing up as sort of kids in the same place. We sort of knew of each other, you know. And he knew of me and my music and all of that because I was playing piano back then. But uh, to get something out of the blue, you know, from somebody who is on one level, you know, kind of known you for 50 years is, is, is sort of amazing, or at least who has, you know, made note of you <laughs> as long as 50 years ago, you know, is, is pretty amazing. So that's also a kind of context within which I want to share this. Because this person found my podcasts, and many of which are about that place that we both grew up. And so... He shared a little bit of why listening to these podcasts was so meaningful to him. And, you know, one other thing, dear listener, is that when someone shares something that's deeply personal and you feel it drop like a plumb line into the depth of your being, you know that that person is kind of struck or expressed a very wonderful, rare, um, combination, more than combination, it's like a alchemy of mind and heart. And then the personal you see really becomes a doorway, a portal into the universal. So this man shared with me how he used to listen to records when he was growing up of poets speaking their, you know, their verse, their works. And he talked about how when he first began listening on records, you know, back in the day, these were on records, and he'd been lent them from the school library kind of amazingly. You know, these are blessed moments when something like that happens. And that first evening, he said, when I put them on my record player, he said, I didn't really understand much at all of these poets, you know, these records, recordings of poets reading their work. All these amazing, expressive, varied voices speaking unfamiliar kinds of language. I didn't understand much, but I felt whole worlds as if somewhere in these poems lay a strange power, as if each one was a portal to something a bit elusive, but enchanting and transporting, and something which might be real beyond the whirl of my present life. A few phrases would leap out with searing immediacy. Conrad Aiken, I don't know if I pronounced that right, Aiken, 
speaking of our condition, our human condition, as herdsman and roper of stars, but who could not capture the secret of our own selves. T.S. Eliot, amidst the desiccated dust storm of his poem, famous poem, The Wasteland, speaking so eloquently, even tenderly, of paralysis in the face of love. And then he quotes from that poem. It's so beautiful, dear listener. You gave me hyacinths a first a year ago. They called me the hyacinth girl. Yet when we came back late from the hyacinth garden, your arms full and your hair wet, I could not speak and my eyes failed. I was neither living nor dead, looking into the heart of light, the silence. And then my friend says, he said, those words poured right into me. And by the second and third and fourth time of listening to them, I began to change. He said, I began to change. He said, for one thing, the music of the words and the presence of the speakers became wholly internalized as the poems became so familiar, I started inveterately memorizing first phrases, but soon whole poems. Only then would the poems come wholly alive and many would stay with me permanently so that growing into them and having them as part of me became part of who I am. Forty years later, I can still quote most of them verbatim. The experience began a lifelong love affair with the recorded spoken word, especially when spoken by the author. The intimacies of recorded voice are so varied uncanny and piercing beyond the pleasures and intricacies of any particular poem. The presence of the speaker, whether living or dead at the time of hearing, was so intense that I could feel Sylvia Plath or Anne Sexton or Geoffrey Hill, these are all poets and writers, as being bodily inside of me and emotionally part of me. And this, it were, and this, dear listeners, where it becomes even more moving to me, right? As if mind and heart weren't already fused in the communication of those thoughts I just read to you. As if they weren't already fused, as if it wasn't already a moving experience to read what I just read to you. He went on. But of all the thousands of memorable experiences with an author speaking, your recordings 
meaning my podcasts, instantly moved to a special place. I listened to them once, utterly wrapped, and then listened again to simply pleasure in the familiarities, and then I'll listen a third time to try and understand why, for example, when you write about our home, the place where we grew up, why it feels like both music and poem are in a way a love letter to the earth and to your past. Not, God knows, in a nostalgic way, but rather in a faithful and attentive way. You know, dear Jessica, I walked out to a familiar park just today, and as I walked, I glanced at a particular tree on a hill. I have tried to capture its distinctive beauty a hundred times with a camera. And as I did, I could hear your voice speaking phrases from the meditation that you did about the trees near your home. And I was so grateful that after 50 years, someone could capture the distinctive beauty of the trees in our town. I can remember every tree in our yard And like your yard, the trees were varied and distinctive, each one singing softly its own distinctive twining of scent and touch and sight. And your words take me through that synesthetic sensorium where leaves in sheaths shoot long and lovely and lush and where the gorgeous canopies whose airy cages quelled quelled and quenched in leaves the leaping sun. And here I'm stealing from a poet's words, a writer, George Manley Hopkins. What you do, and here he's speaking to me again, and what you did as a girl wasn't just celebrate the sacramental qualities of the enfolding life world, but celebrate it as sacrament. Celebrating not just the flower, but the flower's translucent glow. And here, dear listener, I can't help but flash back 50 years to my walking in my garden with my little camera wasn't so little actually my mom had lent me her camera it wasn't so little back in those days walking there in April you know in our garden fascinated mesmerized inspired and in love with the daffodils the yellow daffodils and the petals and how the sun would come through those petals in such a way that their luminosity felt like the most beautiful thing I could imagine and I'd endeavor to photograph them you know almost 50 years ago so my friend says you see you're not just celebrating the flower 
but the flower's translucent glow. Not beauty as an adjective, but as a verb and a force. And you do this movingly, musically, piercingly, with attentiveness, reverence. I could continue reading, dear listener, but I wanted to read that. Because it would have to be one of the most beautiful things I've ever read, let alone it having been written about what I endeavor to do. So when I got this little fortune at my favorite Asian fusion restaurant, nothing is as good in life as the marriage between two minds. You see, and I add hearts, minds and hearts. It's that alchemy between the two that brings us out of ourselves. You see, we are human. We are incredible. Our humanness in its multifaceted, dimensional way is absolutely incredible. I just flashed back you know, to those firefighters saving those 100,000-year-old trees. That was an act of love, dear listener. It was an act of love. And it was possible because of the creative ingenuity and inventiveness of human life. You know, of what it means to be human, that our minds and our hearts can be fused, are one. And when they, they are at the service of one another, of each other, you know, the mind and the heart are in concert, we can do incredible, incredible, incredible things. And I will just say, I think, that when they are fused like that, that is the self-same thing as love, real love. So with that, dear listener, I will go about my day here, start my day, wishing you the very, very best, extending an enormous feeling of gratitude to the special man this person who wrote the words that I that I read to you, this beautiful thing, and many other beautiful things that I've received. And I wish you the very best wherever you are. May God bless you, and I hope that this finds you safe and sound, your mind, your heart, every part of you, now and always now and always.